0: Good afternoon, everybody. It's another conversation uh, with me, Ian Gill, Agility by Nature. Today's guest, really looking forward to speaking to him two. Um, it's a hot day here at Gill Towers, and I'm refreshing myself, not with my usual herbal tea or even a glass of wine, but good old-fashioned orange squash. Today's guest is a very energetic person. And that's not just a joke. I've seen his online profile. He's a bit of an ad hoc restaurant critic as well, uh, and 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 uh, lots of healthy activity going on. He started his career uh, as a junior architect, but actually spent a large part of his time working with mobile teams, a mobile developer, team developer, uh, and but more recently has changed from the mobile development and is now. The current director of engineering at So Energy, which is the green energy supplier and well worth having a chat about that in the world where we're looking at sustainability. Today's guest, and I've been practicing his name, is Cyril Kimme. How did I do this, Cyril?
1: That's very good. Thank you, Jan. So, yes, my name is Cyril Kimme, as uh, say <laughs> <Funky> said. Um, <laughs> thanks for this uh, nice introduction, and, Jan. Uh, yes, yeah, it's true. Uh, I had quite a uh an interesting, interesting journey. Uh, mobility is just something that I like and do uh, during my free time. I do believe that uh, this is the way to reach out to people. This is the way to let them know about things, to help them making decisions, to help them manage their money, and hopefully uh, also to help them manage their uh, energy and understand perhaps a bit more yeah. how this whole energy world uh, works. So, yeah, Transform Energy, because it's a green energy company they're doing uh, 100% renewable electricity and I thought after dabbling for what is it seven to eight years in mobile that I would try to look at things from a different perspective and how you can uh, I can use my skills and what I've learned uh, to perhaps help uh, you know saving our planet that may sound a little bit presumptuous of me but uh, I believe that if we all do a little bit then this is the only way we can Hopefully,
0: improve things. Well, I, I agree. I mean, I always looked at the, the work I did in the past, and you, you like to detect the mission. So when I worked, uh, so I worked at a newspaper, uh, and I was, I was part of democracy, you know, part of the fourth estate, making sure that works. It was the Financial Times, so I felt quite good about that as well. Uh, and actually, funny enough, I did some work with uh, a smart metering company, uh, working with their embedded engineering team. I did think I was helping save the planet. So you know, I don't. Maybe my connection was quite small, but I think it's important to have a, um, uh, uh, a connection to the mission. So if we might just step back, and I would like to talk to you about the the energy world in a lot more than technology, but let's just spend a lot a bit of time at the mobile side of your career as well, because that's quite exciting, very current. You know, you've managed to help. Uh, you know, mobile has got us out of the house, away from the wall, away from wires, and really just freed us both from physically where we are, but from timetables generally. Was that what attracted you, or was it just because you were a damn good Android developer?
1: <laughs> so I started off uh, from being an Android developer, and why did I pick Android over iOS? It's because early days, 2012, 2011, yeah, yeah. I thought that I wanted to go into the mobile world, but I wanted to make sure that I reach out to the, uh, to the huge amount of people that exist out there. I wanted to make sure that I use technology to bridge the gaps. And I love Apple and their products. They are good at marketing. They have changed the way we do, um, uh, we use technology and we use smartphones. I would not remove that from them, but they are targeting people that can afford their product. Yeah. And this is not something I'm comfortable with. I believe that um, uh, product and technology should help people reaching you know, new heights. They should help them managing things better, understanding things better, as opposed to. Putting them in financial difficulty. There are people out there that will, that um, will save money on going on holiday or buying meat, so they can buy a new iPhone, whereas you can have exactly the same device uh, for you know a fourth of the price. But that's how I started an Injury. Yeah. And uh, and yes, I had a chance to uh, to meet different people, and in particular, this uh, uh, the, the CEO of the former company who has this brilliant idea of how could we make uh, identity a little bit better a little bit safer and uh, far easier to use uh that came across because i was involved in, in a couple of uh, side projects during my free time i, I loved mobile and for, for a long time and i was working with uh, with him on a on a startup that was doing uh ticketing and timing on uh, obstacle races so spartan races you know about and basically what happened on those days you have like a thousand people they come into a a stadium, uh, you have gigantic queue, they all queue with their little backpack ready to run. Uh, they present their piece of ID, their waiver. Yep. You have volunteers, people like me, yourself, or your cousin that is 17, and look at them, look at their ID. Like, yeah, you look at the same person. Uh, you put, uh, you sign something, give them the tag, and you check the ID in their bag, their bag in a pile of bags that they're hoping to find out at the end of the race. Yeah. That's how it's all something You were like, God, we surely sure we can do things better, right? That's, uh, not, yeah. that's not a good way to check IDs. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how everything started. And, and basically, we're looking at, okay, how can we digitalize identity and how you can extract data from a passport, from a driving license, from a, a uh-huh. national identity card if you have one. I know it's a, it's a very uh, sensitive topic in, uh, uh-huh. in Great Britain because not having an ID is almost a fundamental right that people in Great Britain are very happy to, uh, uh-huh. to promote. Uh, and coming from France, where uh, you have to have an ID, it is mandatory and free, I always found this tense, let's say interesting, yeah, if that makes sense. <laughs> so we were trying to bridge those gaps where it's like people don't have an ID, but you need to identify people. You need yeah, to be able yeah. to tell them, uh, to tell who they are, and realize that everything is digitalized. I haven't printed a boarding pass in the last five years, Right, everything is on my, my smartphone, and I'm yeah. very happy about it. Yeah. The dream was that one day I want to go to the airport and I don't need to have my passport, my paper passport as well. If yeah. I can have my boarding pass, my card is virtualized, uh, my, I have everything on my Google Drive, my, my booking is on booking uh, app or whatever the app is that you're using, the, the renting of the car as well. Then the last piece, in, last piece missing, sorry, is the identity, right? Which is federate everything else. That joins who you are on Facebook, who you really are, dare I say, on Facebook, on Instagram, on your bank account, as well on uh, the little channel you have organized for the, the birthday of a friend. So that's kind of what we're trying to do. And, and dealing with this, the notion of identity and, and uh, dealing with the people private information, I had a chance to, uh, to double with a heavily security focused design architecture as it's from a backend perspective, from an infrastructure perspective, and obviously from a mobile perspective. I must say I learned a lot I thought I knew about security before those <laughs> five years. I did not, I, I honestly say I did not. I'm by no means I consider myself an expert, but I can understand now what is security, what is encryption, what are those um, algorithms, the protocols, why you would do X and not Y. I understand uh, the principle of uh, hacking, the, the possibilities that uh, hackers have from the mobile perspective, obviously that was my specialty for five years, yeah. but yeah. also from a system uh, yeah. perspective. So. Uh, I had the chance to to play with everything. And it it was a very interesting experience because I was the very first person, like I said, you know, prototyping during the weekend, uh, with the laptop on the on the bed, trying to read passports from uh, from um, uh, another type put together uh, over a couple of weeks and then trying to do optical character recognition on the lower part of the passport. That was the early days, you fast forward five years down the line, you have 250 people in several locations in the world. This is a good experience. This, is, this was yeah. very exciting, and uh, and I learned a lot, and it started off being uh, a senior Android engineer all the way to uh, chief mobile officer. But, yeah, it's uh, It was a great
0: experience. Yeah, uh, and, and so uh, and that would have been when you were with uh, Yoti, if I pronounce. Yes, that. there was Yoti. At the yeah, yeah, Yoti. Yoti, and you were there for a, about five years. I mean, something you said quite early on. Um, I quite like the fact that you, you you went for Android because it's kind of like. And I'm, I'm probably going to get shot down badly for this basic The people's mobile. Although I do, <laughs> do wonder about Android because every time I've got involved with Android development, how many bloody versions have you got to deal with on so many different <laughs> devices? It's not a simple job, is it? Uh,
2: no, it is not. And um, obviously, um, when you write code for Android, uh, most of it would be working on uh, pretty much all the devices. But when I say all the devices... Let me just give you some order of magnitude here, yes, right? Yes. Uh, you probably have, let's say, in total, 20 different iOS devices. That's like all in all, let's say, 20, maybe a bit more. There's some people probably put in comment, and no, actually 27. What? It doesn't matter. On Android, we're looking at dozens of thousands. That's how many different unique devices you have to deal with, uh, in, as a possibility. Yes. So yes, we have had some odd problem because. Our solution was aiming at uh, promoting digital identity across the world. Everywhere yeah. where you have um, a passport, we were working by default, and then we're trying to support more and more documents with for every country. Yeah. So you have obviously you have you know Chinese passport or you have Russian passport. They are always different alphabet, right? Yeah. So you have different uh, uh, different different uh, requirements, and and you have for example in, in country like uh, China or India, Android is the king. We're looking at ninety to to a bit more ninety percent of um, of market termination so you can't you can 't uh, have Android as an afterthought right and they have alternative store et etc et etc so you have to deal with uh, low range phone all the way to a high hand phone, and it doesn't make your life as a, as a developer easier. Sometimes graphics, sometimes it's behavior, sometimes it's, it works on every phone and, you know, you go for a, for a demo and you have this, the CEO or the tech guy of this company that, that has the phone, the model that refuses to work and you're like, why is that possible? how it's working with every phone we've been tested uh the the quality assurance people we had in-house we had something like 30 different models in our own hand that we were playing with on a regular basis so you think you're pretty you know you're covering most well you don't (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean you do but even if you've tested this exact phone uh, and this exact model the fact that uh, it is in a different country on a different uh, oem the different maybe security patch level with uh, it could be with a different combination of applications, different battery management that only this country does because you have so many things to consider. Yeah. that That's what makes your job interesting, but also challenging. I
0: bet, absolutely. And I totally agree. I mean, I was out um, with some friends recently. Uh, my good friend Vijay gets his wallet out, and he's got an old-star wallet. And what I mean by that, it's full of plastic, plastic cards. And I'll kid you not, it, we measured, it was at least two and a half to three inches thick. And my wallet, got one or two credit cards because I want everything on my phone. And, and especially, I'm a big fan now of contactless. I've always kind of liked it because it's yeah. always in pocket, so it's convenient. But like you, drifting through the airport, flash this, QI code, loving all of that. Well, I mean, two things, I suppose. is: Do you think realistically we can get to the point where people and governments will trust each other enough that we genuinely will have passport in the phone. So, I would
2: say 100%, and I'm going to tell you why. In every passport, not every, sorry, in most of the passport nowadays, you have a chip in the passport, right? Uh, This chip contains um, what is on your passport, the main information, not everything, the main information there, and it is digitally signed by your country. Yes. Uh, when you go to those gates at Ethereum airport, for example, you put your passport there. That's what the gates does. The, uh, the gate will read the content of the chip and correlate the content of the chip with what is read on the main page of the passport and looking at the picture from the chip and the picture they take from you at the point of crossing through the gate. So this is already digitalized information. This is already digitally signed. And so it's the, the provenance uh, and the non-tampering can be certified. Therefore, what we do, what we did, for example, in UT, was to do the same thing. We're like, okay, with an Android phone uh, until uh, last year, only Android phone could do it. Now iOS can do it as well. You could read the chip of the passport. So you have a very high degree of confidence on first name, last name, date of birth, country of issuance, et etc., et cetera, including the pictures. So this is already digitalized. What's happening here is the passport, um, the, the paper document, it is not about country not trusting each other because the trust already exists. There is a centralized repository of uh, what is called uh, the, the public key of the country. So, this is a way for uh, any entity interested to um, verify when they read a passport that it has been issued by the right country. This okay. is already centralized and it's maintained by the uh, German government. And that's what most of the uh, airport uh, will use to check that your passport, the content is correct. So the trust is there. It is already digitalized. We are just coming from um, an industry and history where everything was paper based if you look nowadays, we are slowly but surely moving away from the actual plastic debit card, right? Yeah. Now you can do tap and pay with your phone. Like I don't know how many people do it. I've seen so many people doing it. And you can do transfer via your mobile app. You don't need to go down to the, Old bank to ask for a transfer to to give uh, I don't know 150 pounds for your nephew's birthday for example I don't know uh, so you can do that via your phone right so we're moving away from uh, this old industry the bank is one of the oldest you have insurance and then you have those identity uh, things and I think uh, it is not about trust only it's about uh, people willing to embrace it and I think. U.K. is a very good example of people not willing to embrace it. Mm. You talk to people about digital identity, they're going to think, oh, but you're going to track me. You're going to know where I am. And I'm like, hold on a second. So, let, let, so you're happy to, to tell who you are on uh, Google Maps. You're happy to sign in into the restaurant when you go there and to put the the, the picture of the dishes and of your friend on, on Instagram where you were. You're happy to tell everyone on Facebook. You're happy to tell them on Reddit. You're happy to send an email to them and you're happy to answer all security questions to a random stranger on the phone when they want to know about who you are to make sure that you have the right account. They're going to ask you what was the last 10 things that you have spent on your account to make sure it's you. It's like you're happy to answer all of those questions. And now you, you think that adding a piece of ID, which is basically federating those things in one document, is going to make it a bit more, how can I say, less secure and more invasive than it already is. Like That's, that's just, it's mind-blowing. Not because people uh, don't know, but because they haven't been uh, presented with the fact from this perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you made an interesting point. I mean, obviously track and trace, and I'm not going to get into the, the history of that, but one of the things that has been interesting, people have said it to me and said, I'm not signing up for that. I'm not them, whoever they are, them yeah. I detect them I don't want it to have. And so there is some, and I must admit, I'm quite cautious about privacy. I'm of course, not, and you should be. <laughs> uh, and, and, well, actually recently I did have a QR scan, so uh, for track and trace and no other reason in a restaurant recently who then decided to take that detail and send me some marketing spam. So I was not terribly impressed yeah. by that. That sort of thing doesn't help. Exactly, it doesn't. So I can feel, you know, the mission is important. So now I'm thinking about when you build teams, because you've been in some startups, you've done a lot of team building, mm-hmm. product development, innovation. When you're building these teams, what, what are you looking for? How do you bring the people you think are right into that team, and I know it's a really big question. But you're so passionate about the mission. I wonder if you, know, if they're not passionate with you, they're not going to get in the team.
2: I think you're exactly spot on. That is the type of people that I'm looking for. I've been recruiting for uh, not only mobile. I've done mobile front end, back end, product QA, uh, HR, uh, design. Uh, what else? Marketing. I've done pretty much all the functions in the company because you know when you start up, you you basically support and help wherever you can. Uh, what I look in people is that they understand, they love and they live their domain. Yeah. Uh, so let's take the example of mobile because that was the, that was the five years of, uh, of my life and the people I have recruited, I'm very happy to see them uh, flourishing or, or to see them having more and more responsibilities now, it are people that uh, were able to uh, explain, you know, a decision, a technology, not only, oh, because uh, like I love to say, I'm not recruiting Stack Overflow developer. Anyone can you know, Google a question, copy paste the code, and yes, it will work. That is not the type of people I'm looking for. I'm looking at someone that either will be the one answering the question on Stack Overflow or someone that can tell me why uh, half of the, the answer on Stack Overflow are wrong. Explain to me why do you think it's not the right one? Explain to me this last trendy framework not why you want to use it. I mean, that's part of the interview process, but also how would you build it? How do you think it works underneath? And I would say, if you if you're an advocate of let's say, Rx Java, for example, for um, a, a, a trendy framework, and you cannot tell me how it is working underneath, you haven't looked inside. Well, I don't think you are the right person, not because you're not good at your job, but because I need people that can look into things that can understand how it is, how things are worked, how things are built together, and not only that can understand, that want to understand, people that makes a point to get to the bottom of things, so they can uh, go to the the root cause, the, the 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 actual origin of of a discussion, of a topic, of a bug, of a of a of a architectural uh, debate, for example. So yes, I think you you, you are right. I look for passion. Skills, I think, comes as a side effect of passion. Uh, that is why, for example. Uh, the school where you come from, the company where you've been before, it is relevant, but not so much because someone's going to be like, I've heard many recruiters telling me, oh, are you interested in people coming from Facebook or whatever? It's like, actually, if anything, I'd like to know what they've done. And I'm going to be even more cautious. If you come from a big company, most likely you haven't handled a project from end to end. You'll be mm-hmm. responsible for a, a sub part of a part of a part, and it is not—it's not something bad. It just means that when I'm going to need you to explain to me something, you might not have the um, uh, the headspace to actually relate things together because you haven't been allowed to have the headspace because someone else had the headspace for you. So that's the type of person that I that I look for. That's the type of the person that I enjoy working with, where I can have you know a healthy debate, when I can have someone telling me. I disagree and here is why. And someone that can say, you know, oh, you're right, I was wrong. And I like your idea because a real conversation based on, you know, fact and knowledge and, and, uh, and um, on, on solid knowledge, basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, I was talking to Darren Benson, the Preserver and he said, when he looked for people, he looked for problem solvers, which I thought mm. was quite, and again, he wasn't overly stressing about, you know, how many degrees you had in, um, Yes, yeah, exactly. A, a in can you solve problems? Um, so, when you've got your passionate bunch of individuals as a team, you've got a goal that you want to achieve. How do you like to organize the team? Or, you know, you've know, got all these frameworks around and there's all the agile techniques and scrum. <laughs> you know, they're there, they're there. I noticed in your, in your back catalog on LinkedIn, you know, of course, I've been snooping around in there. I think <laughs> you mentioned you built some scrum teams, but what's your view about how do you manage your team? To do the job. Yes,
1: yeah, so that's, that's
2: actually a very interesting topic and it's probably the, I mean, the the, the, the most important part and the, the part that is the more, the most important that can actually impair project or make company fail, yeah. I believe, is the execution. And I know when you're a startup, you need, you know, the right timing, the right amount of money, the right idea, the right take, et cetera, et cetera. But execution is the thing that can, it's a success or a failure. Yeah. So... So I've seen different sort of, uh, of structure. And obviously, when you early started with 20 people, you don't have the same organization and a bigger one. I'm going to talk about the model that I think works quite nicely. Uh, so I believe that um, the, uh, it was what we have uh, in UT and what I'm implementing currently at So Energy, is um, a ripoff, if I can say, of the, the now famous Spotify model. So uh, why do I think this is a good idea? Uh, first of all, because it, allow, it allows scalability as well as um, high, um, how can I say, high competency and high technical skills in every single project. So the way the Spotify model is structured, or the way I understood it, okay. is that you're going to have cross-functional teams yeah. uh, and each team is going to be responsible for a couple of uh, domains uh, in, in the, the team that I uh, work with let's say on the mobile app, you're gonna say one team is responsible for login and account section, the other team is responsible for, I don't know, the onboarding, whatever. Uh, And they they can build expertise around around those domain. A cross-functional team uh, should be autonomous and they can execute a piece of work from end to end. So you're gonna have, you know, um, front-end, back-end, QA, product, design, uh, I'm, I'm keeping the function high level on purpose. We can go to the detail of do you have product manager and delivery, that's a different debate. Uh, but let's say you have those functions that are dedicated for a team, and then this team is a, an entity and it can take care of uh, its domain, whereas it's new feature, fixing, et etc., etc. cetera. Et cetera. Uh, now, within a team, you're gonna make sure you have redundancy where relevant. So you can have at least a pair of front end and a pair of back end. Why is that? So when someone's on holiday, when you have someone else can carry on, so that's, that's one thing. Then if you have um, another team uh, at, uh, at the starting point, when you start, we start to have two teams, it's very easy to scale up um, uh, without losing too much velocity. How would you do that? Then you say, okay, I have two teams and I want a third one. What you do is you put, uh, let's say you have a pair of each uh, everywhere. You're going to put one front end on team A, one front end on team B. After a couple of months, when they're up to speed, you extract them in their new team. So you don't lose velocity. If anything, you increase the initial team velocity because the impact of onboarding someone is more or less um, uh, swallowed, depending on uh, what sort of onboarding process you have. And then you have this team ready to kick, basically. Um, so that's, that's that's a very scalable model. And with, with having this uh, cross-functional team, you can also have the uh, horizontal counterparts. If you look at the team vertically, Right. Uh, in terms of dimension Horizontally you can look at the expertise, you can have like a front end gear, the back end gear, Android, iOS, Q, etc. And you can have like a technical leads for every single one of those, um, of those, uh, of those guild. And it's very important for those um, horizontal, uh, horizontal group to exist and have their, you know, their own forum, they can exchange on what they've done the new framework or something that a team has tried and the other one hasn't yet or talking about common thing because in, even if you assign topics to every team, there will always be some part of the code that are shared with everyone. So who yeah. takes care of those? It could be the tech lead or it doesn't have to be. Uh, you could have a, another team, a third team dedicated to research and development, to try new technology, to do some uh, groundwork for the um, for the rest of the team. To be a, some sort of support team when there is something that is transverse for everyone, they can take care of it and laying uh, laying down the groundwork for for everyone. So you have a very scalable model. You can have high level of expertise because you have this uh, horizontal group that exists uh, and. Um, And basically, you have a sense of progression as well. You can have a mid and a senior. They can see the opportunity of becoming a lead. You can have even an architect can sit outside of the cross-functional team and could do an architecture. It could be a mobile architect, front-end, back-end. You can have like all the the diversity that you want. So that's why I think this sort of model works very well because you can replicate with as many teams as you want. Then you can group the teams if you need to. Uh, I haven't reached uh, the, this level where the team were grouped, but they were all uh, around a specific set of products, so it was already working uh, somehow this way. Uh, and I think this is this has worked quite nicely. Now for the methodology, yes, you've you've seen Scrum, and uh, this is one of the fancy words today, Scrum, agile. child. Uh, yeah. I don't want to get into the detail of what sort of implementation of Scrum I, I did, but I think something that perhaps stakeholders and, and inexperienced developers don't always realize is that when you talk about being agile or being uh, using Scrum, whatever it is, uh, whatever agile implementation you want to use, uh, they need to be able to articulate why you're doing agile and the drawback of doing agile. So for example, uh, you talking to, uh, a, to I don't know, a CEO or to a CTO or to someone uh, quite high on the company. Usually the interesting into the, okay, when are you going to do it? You know, by when, yeah. may, we're going to have this feature. And it's going to be difficult because you're going to tell them, oh, we're working into sprint, we are estimating, we can tell you what we're going to work on now is going to be done in the couple of sprint, but the thing that is for the next quarter, we haven't started to work on it yet. And I think the, the topic and the, the thing that uh, companies uh, don't realize is like you want your tech team to be agile because you want to be able, you want them to be able to change, right? It happens to everyone, you start to work on something and a month down the line, there's something more important you and everybody expects you to be able to stop what you were doing, focus on this next super important thing, whatever the reason is, you you work on it and you deliver it. That is being agile, right? You are responsive to a change that wasn't foreseen and you can work on it. That means that you cannot estimate the rest of the work and start to work on it because the work that is required to get to an estimation to know how long it's gonna last, you have a lot of product, a lot of user experience, a lot of design, a lot of testing that happens before. And then you have the technical estimation and the breakdown in the stories, blah, blah, blah. And then the point. When uh, this has happened, you already have like, I don't know, let's say, 60 to 70 percent of your uh, of your time being spent on that. So obviously, being agile means you cannot spend that much time on all the topics for the entire year. If you do that, you're not agile anymore. You're very much waterfall, yeah. where actually you you set you lock down the roadmap for six months and you only work on that. The cost means you cannot deviate because you have spent that much time on estimation. If you deviate, then it means you have wasted this time. So the being able to be agile means you need to to work on a small enough piece of work so that if you have to stop, you don't waste too much time and you can switch your focus on something new and work on it straight away. The straight away means that you know it very well what you have in front of your nose, what comes next quarter has to be a bit more of a discussion and we come later if it ever comes and that is a difference, because sometimes it doesn't come and even though the company would never say oh you did well of telling me you didn't spend the time to estimate the things for q4 because now this thing is not even the priority anymore nobody ever says that but at least the the positive of not being able to estimate is you save the time you haven't spent basically on, on getting ready to work on it and i think this is That sounds very, perhaps very specific and not that important, but I think this is one way to reconciliate business stakeholders and the tech team which are trying to bridge this gap of uh, I know the estimation, but just for what is in front of my nose.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you bring so much energy uh, just listening to you. I mean, I'm sitting back, I'm I'm drinking my orange squash. I think you've got a soft drink there as well. Uh, (laughs) Water. (laughs) One of the things that, I'm always interested, so I often hear, you know, CEOs talk about the when question uh, and output, but they often talk about, how do I get innovation? that you know, They don't understand, how do I get more innovation to, so I can compete more effectively? And I suppose that's another way. And the other question I have is, how do you bring innovation and how do you bring that to your board and exec? But one point, How do you get your team very close, because the mission of energy is to be very consumer focused? Yes. So the team have a very intimate relationship with the consumer so that they are responding to them and maintaining that innovation i wonder how you handled that
2: uh, that's uh, another very interesting question so innovation it's there's several aspects right In innovation there's obviously the, the what well, I would say the most obvious part, selfishly, which is a technological innovation. But not only. You can innovate in, in different ways. You can innovate in the way you manage people. You can innovate in the way you have your processes to talk to your customers. And I think that's what Sunergy so Energy has done very well. Uh, they have a unique way to manage customer relationship, which has given us like this uh, uh, near five-star rating on the Trust Pilot. That is because we are not doing things the way everybody else is, obviously. Otherwise, we would have had the same sort of ratings. Uh, but now, how did you bring innovation and how you bridge the gap between innovation and customers? I think the interesting part is customers won't always be the one validating early phase of innovation. So you may want to think, oh, I have an idea, let me validate it instantly. And it's like, yeah, you, you may want to do that and you should definitely write it with customers, but. Sometimes you need to mature your idea. You need to believe in the product. You need to push the product out until it, it started. For example, if I ask all of us that uh, have already used at least once, let's say Airbnb, Airbnb or Uber. If I ask you just before Uber was about to release, would you go, would you use this app that uh, will uh, send a car with someone who's not a certified driver and they will drive you from A to B for 30 minutes? I'm, I have a gutter. people will be like ah, i don't think I would trust them i, I stick to the black cap yeah,
1: yeah. now
2: everybody is using Uber same goes with Airbnb when you go into someone 's house, not knowing the level of service you're going to get, not knowing if it's going to be clean, if you're going to get you know like people will be like very like re- uh, reluctant uh, initially, so I think sometimes you cannot on, you cannot rely uh, on too much on the customer when you push innovation out of the door when you get them familiarized with what is your innovation you're talking about, and it applies for internal innovation as well as you know the one that is for the, the the public internally it would be the same right if you, if, you, uh, if you hire people that are experienced from customer service and they've been doing it for five to ten years and you tell them, well, you've been doing it. not wrong, but I'll do it differently, they're probably going to have a reaction of, ah, I'm not too sure. Probably not, you probably don't know what you're talking about here. So, you know, you have to get on with it and then you see the result and then it becomes innovation, successful innovation because people are on board with it. Yeah. And so I think the, the way to bring innovation and uh, it's probably, I don't want to be too much, um, too negative, but I think innovation is mostly a cost because at the beginning, you're gonna to have to have time to think about innovation, to try things, to implement, to iterate. Uh, even though you have an idea, you need to, you know, work through it. The idea you have initially and the one you're gonna get after v1 of the product is probably um, quite different. So you need to have those people uh, that can spend their time on something that may or may not really be rewarding at all. Yeah. And I think that's something that uh, is difficult for for startups or small company uh, to be able to realize because you need to put this money, you're gonna have two, four, I don't know, 10 people. That's, that's a lot of money you're looking at. It could be a million a year, right? Um, where you have a, a lot of people that do something, they try one, two, five different topics. And you're hoping that one maybe will be successful. Uh, whatever is the innovation. If it's a process innovation, you have less people, it's less expensive, but you get the idea. The implementation is probably counteracting the cost of the innovation itself. But yes, so it's 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 a cost, and I think you need to dedicate people to it. Uh, and you need to make sure that those people uh, understand and own the, the topic so that they can sell it to whoever needs to be sold uh when, when the innovation reaches the, the next stage, next level, either it's the, the public release or, or the public trial. So it is not easy. And, uh, and I've seen it implemented differently, but the, the constant for me is you have to have a, a dedicated team that think and breathe innovation. It could be R&D, if it's relevant to your company. It could be allocating X percent of time uh, to some people in the team so they can try things on their own. Sometimes innovation is as simple as you know using a new SDK that facilitates by 2%, 5 or 10%. This and this, it's still innovation, makes people happy as well. Uh, but yeah, you need to allocate the space, Means it's gonna cost you.
0: I, I, I think what's interesting about that answer, actually, is I still think a lot of people think innovation is a eureka moment, you know, you, you're sitting there and all of a sudden you have this incredible idea and off you jolly well go. Actually, it's a lot of graft and a lot of not success. Well, if success is it didn't work, you've learned something, if you've learned something, that's yeah. something. I guess it's investing in things that may well fail and moving through them as briskly as possible.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, so, let's move a bit more to so energy because we talked about mobile, we talked about security, and I think yeah, hopefully that's opened a lot of people's eyes about going on there. Energy, well, before COVID, energy was very front and centre with um, you know extinction, extinction rebellion, sustainability, the planet, and energy is four square right in the middle of it and you know so energy is a green energy supplier and there's some really nifty little ideas I saw in there about you know, helping vote for what type of electricity I think people forget when they switch things on and off power is coming from all sorts of places it's a geopolitical thing as well there's a lot of things going on across the world you don't quite know where our electricity is coming from we don't even know if it's part wind Part coal mixed raw, because uh, it all gets into one thing but let's start with the mission of So energy first of all what's SoEnergy's energy 's mission as, as you understand it, and then perhaps you can explain to us how technology you as a technologist are helping the world in that energy that 's a two part question sorry about that but
2: yeah that 's okay. I think uh, we are currently actually trying to um, to to review and to, to change a little bit of our of our brand stance to be a bit more clear. Like you said, uh, rightly, or uh, not all the aspect of our of our brand and our mission are clear on all of the channels. And I think it's something we're trying to correct. Um, but yes, w- what we're trying to do is to provide renewable energy uh, at a good price with an excellent customer service. So I think that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. We're trying to focus on the fact that um, there's there's a lot of energy company out there. They have their own business model. they're doing things their own way. The stance uh, to energy is to try to do things the right way. Uh, for example, we genuinely believe that if you have uh, if you provide good customer service, if you provide um, this uh, at a, a very good level, then naturally, Uh, your internal cost and the longevity of a user would be longer. So your costs are lower. The user um, retention is longer because they're happy with what you provide. It's at a good price. When they have you on the phone, on the chat, on email, uh, they have a good experience as well. Same for the website and same for the the soon-to-come mobile app. So we we are not trying to, to use customer service as a way to... Um, how can I say, as a way to fix problem for customers. Yeah. It's, it's um, a channel, a relationship that we have with the user. And for example, some user prefer to talk to someone. And that's absolutely fine, buyers. That's why we don't have like uh, an automated uh,
0: answering machine. Thank uh, God. Thank God. I'm absolutely <laughs> low. <laughs>
2: and, and I understand why you would put that from an operational perspective, but it's like that doesn't create good customer experience. It doesn't. Um, So I think that's that's what we're trying to do, and and yes, we're trying to, to provide renewable energy and where it is not renewable, so for example, when it's not green energy, like uh, there is a big debate on gas, is it renewable or not, et cetera. Well, I don't think it is personally. Some people are trying to twist a little bit the thing in a different article. Uh, gas is not, so it doesn't come from uh, from the sun or from the wind, right? It comes from fossil, that's what it is. So it is not renewable the same way as petrol. And uh, and we're not trying to lie about that. We're providing gas, but is it gas is not renewable. However, we're trying to offset that. We're trying to find inventive solution to, to say, okay, before that amount of, um, of a meter cube of gas, then we're gonna—I don't know—put that much money on this company that you know helps us planting trees or doing this or doing this. So try to find different um, uh, inventive ways to to offset. And when it comes to electricity, then yes, we are 100% renewable. That is what we do. We do not uh, buy electricity from non-renewable sources. Uh, and I think this is a, a strong statement. That's what brought me uh, into energy. It's like I, I believe that there is. A lot of different uh, renewable and green way to generate electricity. Why they are not more used nowadays is because it is not convenient for the people that you know manage and, and get the money. The, the petrol industry is a several hundred billions uh, a year, uh, and obviously they have no interest of seeing this uh, revenue stream decreasing. So that's, I, in my opinion, this is the main reason why the the uptake of renewable energy. Is as slow as it is, Uh, but we have the technology nowadays. Uh, That's why a company like ours can be 100% viable and can survive by just providing renewable energy. And I think it is important for customers uh, to try to make a difference. You can you can spend less by making sure that the energy you provide is uh, renewable. Uh, I don't know if it's worth explaining uh, how it works, but it is true that uh, when you come to the individual house, the electricity itself—you know, the one the little electron that travels down uh, the, 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 the wires—it is true that you don't know if this one in particular comes a renewable source. We have a gigantic grid; all the different energy sources are, you know, going um, going into the grid, and then you just take what you need—you pump it out, basically. Uh, and when there is a high demand, then they put more into it, so there is more pumped out. So you don't know exactly, but what we do is we're making sure that we buy what is called REGO certificate, which is uh, saying that we have, bought our, um, we, have, uh, we have paid this amount of uh, kilowatt hours of electricity uh, to this sort of provider or this sort of provider. So the, the people, the entity from which we're buying electricity that we are selling back to the, to the customers are entities only doing renewable energy.
0: That's really, I mean, um, when I was on your website, I've got to say, uh, I mean, my, I've got children and they are more interested in sustainability than perhaps I was when I was their age. 15 or so, um, But even though I'm old, doesn't mean really say I don't get engaged. And what was interesting, looking at your website, electricity, I always think of that as a, a race to the bottom. Cheapest is good enough for me, but actually I found it much more engaging thinking about, okay, now I've got a choice of wind power, solar and what have you. I thought, actually... I started engaging in a way that perhaps I hadn't really thought of before. Do you think there's, first of all, just on the green debate, is it just that engagement companies like you can just get that conversation going about where is my power coming from?
2: Yeah, I think it's a fair point. Yeah, we, we, do, uh, we thought it was a good idea to make uh, to engage our customers so you can vote on solar energy to decide where your electricity comes from. Is that wind? Is that solar? Uh, is that tidal? Et Etc. et cetera. So we have a couple of sources uh, there are obviously some, some limitations because there is only a certain amount of biomass, for example, so if everyone said they want biomass, well uh, sorry, we won't be able to, to comply, but uh, apart from that, yeah, we, we do stick to our words if uh, at the end we have like a, a 70, I don't know, 70, 20, 10, then we will do 70, 20, 10 in terms of where we buy electricity from. Um, but yeah, I think you're right on the, uh, on the engagement part and I think it's, uh, without sounding condescending, I think there is a a need for education, but education in a way that, oh, did you know that actually you can have green energy without paying premium? Did you know that if you have a house, uh, you can have a solar panel and battery that can uh, allow you, for example, to stay a day or a couple of days without needing to have electricity off the grid at all. People don't really people probably think well surely it's just a couple of minutes. Well, no, it is not actually nowadays, technology is that much better. Uh, and, and we are reaching, um, uh, we have more and more ideas, but you can also use your electric car should you have one uh, as a, another battery as well, you can do things a bit more clever, Or well, you could use the battery to make sure that oh, you, you keep on generating a new store. And then when it is advantageous for you to uh, Sell it back to the grid. So if you generate energy, you can either just consume it internally, or you can put it back to the grid, and I did an export meter that can uh, gives you, you know, a price per kilowatt hour, and you can get money out of it. Um, so and we could do things, uh, and we are working towards that, where you can make sure that uh, this electricity is only sold when it is the highest price, so you get the more money out of it. Uh, you can do a lot of things. Uh, and uh, I, I don't think people know about it. I don't think people know that uh, one of the biggest wind farms uh, in Europe, I think is on the coast of UK. So all those things is, uh, are not widely advertised. And yes, they are you know, uh, drawbacks uh, at um, having wind farms. Some people say they are noisy if you're close to it. They are not very nice to the eyesight. I hear that, but I think I want to be a bit uh, harsh here. It is not because you don't see it that there is not the same disadvantage, even worse, for uh, fossil uh, energy, like right? when you have petrol and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and carbon and all, uh, all those gas, the, the cost that there is and the impact on the planet to produce that is is by no way comparable to uh, a wind farm on a couple of miles down the the shore of u k right mm-hmm. so it's like yes, it is true that uh, it is not as nice because you actually see the problem under your eyes well then <laughs> the same way i saw <laughs> I saw a post on uh, on on my on my feed. someone was complaining because uh, there is a lot of truck in London, and it's like oh it is locked down, you shouldn't have truck, blah 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 blah. And the guy puts a sticker on his truck. Say, "You annoyed by a truck? Stop ordering goods. It's as simple as that." And it is true. It's like this is the symptom, right? You have you happy to go down the shop and having your can of whatever, having your your toothpaste and and your old beer for the for your mate on the on Friday, right? Well, someone is to bring him down the, the street. That's the truck. That's what it does. It's bringing down the street. Don't be yourself at the truck. And it's the same here. You're consuming energy for you know for your. Your 45-inch TV that you're very proud of, for your uh, PS3 that you're proud of, for your computer, the, your iPad, your smartphone, your the last fridge that you wanted to have that is an American fridge but you don't need a, a super fancy oven as well that consumes a lot of energy. You you want your uh, your dishwasher, you want your dryer, you want your hair dryer to work. You want everything to work at the same time, and then you don't want a wind farm. Well, then choose. So I think we need to. And that's what I mean by educating, right? It's like telling people, this is what's happening. You consume that much energy. Here's how you can perhaps reduce it. And here's how you can be more and more autonomous. As in, you can perhaps, if you have a house, you can produce most of your energy or you can sell a bit of it and your bill could be, I don't know, 30, 40% less than what it could be. But yes, there is a drawback at, you know, heavy consumption. Uh, when you go to uh, to McDonald's, you complain about X, Y, Z, or or you're very happy to have your little burger. But do you know what is the the extent of uh, of uh, extreme farming? So you have your cow somewhere. If you look at the land after the extensive farming, they are not even usable. Yeah, this is the consequence of you being happy to have your burger. And I think this is the education that we are missing. Is like us at the end of the chain being the consumer. We are not part of the problem. I don't want to be that dramatic. But we are um, we are um, the part of the of the of the of what, what's happening here. We are part of the the um, the, the consumption and uh, and if if there is uh, pollution here, if there is uh, you know something which is not pretty to see, something that is too expensive, there is because we encourage that. And unless we as a as an individual, as a family, as a village, a city, a country, decide to take a stance, things won't change. So I think if we start now to educate people about solar energy, I want solar or renewable energy. Solar is just a, what I think is probably the right way, but this is very uh, this is my own opinion because the sun produces so much energy that uh, if we just try to harvest it, then I think things will get much better. And um, yeah, so I think when we start to educate people a bit more, this is where we can make a difference that actually you can use only good energy that's good for the planet because you don't uh, create too much of uh, of um, of uh, bad gas or of pollution, and uh, and the energy that you use is not something that's going to run out uh, because yep. it's renewable.
0: Absolutely, I think um, that was a great speech, by the way.
2: Well,
0: you know, I said at the beginning, you're a passionate guy, and I think you know you proved me right. But I think. We, I've seen over the last however many years, just the investment in batteries, make them slimmer, make them more efficient. We are looking at ways to produce um, power. Ironically, we're using more power to generate more technology companies that can actually make more efficient things happen. So Mm at some point, something's gonna have to give, but you know, we know it's, we know there's a finite amount of mass. We can frack and we could do this, but there'll be a point, I guess, we'll have to say there needs to be other things. And you're there to help us. So thank goodness. It's not just a price comparison site. We need companies like you to find better ways and make more efficient use of the little power that we can generate. Uh, uh, And and even if the next iPhone actually had a strip of uh, solar energy, so I didn't always have to plug it in, that would be a good thing. um, a real pleasure to talk to you. I think it's been a great walk through innovation, team management, startups, mobile, uh, security. We didn't even really get into security in the thought. That's
2: that. true.
0: That could be another all hour or so. I, I, You know, I think um, I still wonder it, I, I, how many questions. I could have asked you five questions about security, but the time is up. We probably have to refresh our soft drinks. Still a joy. Thank you so much for joining us and hopefully we'll meet together and talk about some other subjects because uh, man, you're, you're grand value. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you,
1: Ian. It was a real pleasure to, to talk to you Thank today. you.
0: <laughs>